Welcome to New Hope Church's sermon series podcast. We all have experienced some form of suffering or grief in our lives, whether it's because of the death of someone close to us, or chronic health issues, or broken relationships, or some disappointment about our lives. How do we understand what the gospel is and who God is in the midst of our suffering? We're in the fifth week of the Good Life teaching series. Our lessons have been exploring how the good news of Jesus intersects with every aspect of our lives. Today's message is taught by Pastor Mike Stern, and our scripture reading is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. The following message was recorded at our in-person services on Sunday, October 31st, 2021. Visit newhopepdx.org to download teaching notes or to watch the full-length service. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to everyone in the room, everyone who is online right now. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I had a really great group of friends in high school. And let me tell you, we were not the cool kids at all, but we had a lot of fun together. We spent tons of time inside and outside of school. Pretty much every day I was with most or all of these friends. And we formed some tight bonds with each other throughout that time. One of the places where we liked to hang out was at my friend Julia's house. Uh, Her parents just cared for us a lot. They always had an open door. They would help us with things. They'd give us odd jobs and pay us for them. Or I remember her mom helping me to write my first resume so that I could get a good job. It was a safe place for us to be. One uh, one Saturday night, uh, my sophomore year, we all went out bowling together and then back to Julia's house to hang out. The girls were gonna stay the night and the guys were hanging out late and we were just playing games and goofing off. But my friend Jennifer wasn't going to stay late. Her whole world was her horse. That's all she could ever talk about was her horse. She did these equestrian races, she did endurance rides. It was everything to her. So she wasn't gonna stay that late that night because the next day she wanted to get up early in the morning to go for a training, uh, a training ride. I can still picture her in the room as I was saying goodbye to her that evening. It didn't matter how much fun we were all having. She was serious about going for a ride in the morning, so she took off that night, and the rest of us, we just had a blast together. And the next day, I got a call from one of my friends in that group. She was crying on the other end of the line. She said, have you heard about Jennifer? And I said, no. Jennifer had gone on her ride in the morning, and she was riding alone on the beach, and as she was crossing the stream, somehow she fell off of her horse and broke her neck and drowned in the stream. There's so many memories, so many vivid memories that I have after that point, more than what I could possibly tell you. But I remember the next day, the assembly at school where they announced it to everybody. I remember the dean trying to comfort those of us who were closest to Jennifer. And I remember talking to her mom after the funeral um, in the lobby of the church. And I remember my friend Ryan, who was particularly close with Jennifer, asking why. Why did this happen? I'm guessing most of us in this room have probably asked that kind of question at some point 
in our lives. Whether it's the, because of the death of a loved one who's close to us, a chronic health issue, broken relationships, some disappointment that we're feeling in life, why? Why is it like this? It's not supposed to be like this, right? Most of us have experienced some sort of suffering and grief in our lives. It's just kind of part of the human experience. I know that you have because I've sat down with so many of you and heard your stories and all of the things that you have and are experiencing in life. And I've also seen so much, so much trust and faith in God from all of you. Yeah. And at some times you're gonna question and doubt as well, and that's okay. How does the gospel intersect with suffering? That's what we want to explore today. We're in this series called The Good Life, where we're looking at how the gospel, this gospel that is so much bigger, so much greater than we ever could have imagined, how that intersects, intersects with all of our daily experiences in life. Because it's not about where we're going someday, right? It's about living eternity and living in the kingdom of God right now, even in the midst of our suffering. And this is really, really important because how we understand the gospel and how we understand who God is informs how we respond to our suffering. I can't emphasize that enough. And the deeper our understanding of the gospel and the truer our understanding of who God is, the, the stronger our response will be. It's like muscle memory. You can actually build up a reflex of turning to God in his, in his goodness and trusting him even in the midst of your hardest circumstances. Paul Tripp, who is a counselor and a pastor, he wrote, when the unexpected, the unwanted, the unplanned, the hard and the difficult enters your life, you will always preach some kind of gospel to yourself, always. What kind of gospel are you preaching to yourself? Typical ones in the context of suffering are God is bad, or he just doesn't really care, or maybe he doesn't exist, or I'm bad, I'm a disappointment to God. In fact, he's actually punishing me because I haven't been good enough for him lately. Both of those are false, twisted messages about God and ourselves, but it's easy to default to those messages rather than to the true gospel, the good news, the good message that we've been exploring. So let's see how this good news informs our suffering. Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Peter, which has a lot to say about suffering. We're not going to go in depth on this particular passage. We're going to jump around a little bit, but this is going to be an anchor point for us. Ron is going to be giving our public reading of scripture today. First Peter 1, 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. All this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ron. Ron is the chairman of our elder board, by the way. All complaints can be directed toward him. <laughs> All right, let me give you a few caveats before we jump into this. First, suffering or grief or loss can take many different forms. It can come from traumatic events, sudden losses. Others have to do with like chronic health issues where we feel like there's no hope of any kind of relief. Others are related to like mental illness or depression. Then there are suffering things like for my son, Caleb, who's allergic to nuts. And so on Halloween night, he's not gonna get any Reese's Pieces or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, which just means more for me. <laughs> Sucker. Second, I can't address all of the nuances of your experiences today, but I want you to know that I care. I would gladly sit down with any one of you and listen to your specific stories, and I know that any pastor here would be happy to do that as well. And what I say today probably will feel incomplete. But even if I could address every kind of scenario and situation, the answers might not satisfy you. Ultimately, you have to go through your own process of wrestling with these questions before God. I'm gonna give you information today, but it's up to you to actually work through that process through experiences with God in order to bring some resolution for you. Third caveat, it's good to be able to laugh when talking about serious things or hard things. So I'm gonna throw in a few jokes or memes for you. If you don't like them, you can just defenestrate them, which means throw them out the window. But it's for your own benefit if you laugh. It has nothing to do with me or my ego, I promise. To prove that it's for your own benefit, I've got a far side comic for you. Testing whether laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> I love a good Gary Larson cartoon. The big question that seems to affect people the most when talking about suffering is why does a good God allow so much suffering in the world? This is essentially what my friend Ryan 
was asking. Not only do we see this personally in our own lives, but just in the world in general, there's so much hurt, there's so much pain, there's so much evil in the world. God is good, right? Yes. Yes, God is good. Let's just establish that. He's not out to get you. In fact, on the contrary, he has done everything that he can for you. We could talk forever about God's goodness, but just looking at our passage here, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So just a few things to notice here. One, God is Father. He's called Father. He's not far from you. He is fatherly toward you. He has great mercy. The word for mercy, Elias, in the Greek is the same word that's regularly translated from the Hebrew, chesed, God's covenant love. We've been given new life and hope from him, a living hope. He's restoring things. And it says he's going to give us a guaranteed inheritance, one that will never perish or is imperishable. Peter uses that word imperishable several times in his letter to contrast the perishableness of our bodies with the imperishableness of God and what he has in store for us and what he's promised for us. So yes, God is good. He loves you. He's your father. He's going to make things right. This has to be the foundation for us when we're talking about suffering. God is not against you. And he's not ambivalent towards you either. He loves you enough to send his son Jesus to ultimately rescue you from suffering. So why does he allow suffering? If you talk to people who have either walked away from the faith or maybe people who have never believed in God, this is a significant question that they have. I'm the only father, follower of Jesus in my family, and mostly people don't want to talk about God or religion, but my brother is always willing to engage in a conversation. You love my brother. He's great. He's charming. He's thoughtful. He's fun to be around, and he does not mince words in a conversation about God. This last summer, I was fortunate to have two trips, uh, two road trips to California with him. And each one, we spent 16 hours together in the car. And a significant portion of our, that time was spent talking about God and faith and Christians and Christianity. The most significant issue that keeps coming up in those conversations is why there is so much suffering in the world. And just as there isn't one kind of suffering, there also isn't just one simple answer to why there is suffering. We live in a complicated world. In fact, it's far more complicated than any of us could really understand. That's what the book of Job really ends up coming down to. It's 42 chapters of all this beautiful poetry. And in the end, what we see is that Job doesn't have the wisdom of God. So he'll never fully understand why God does 
what he does. So he responds to God in the end. Surely I have spoken things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. The fact that life is complicated is actually a good thing. I don't know if we would like it if life wasn't so complicated because we would lose a fundamental aspect of who we are as a result. Right now, the Lego movie is pretty popular in our house. If you haven't seen it, it's funny. You should check it out. The protagonist is Emmett, that guy right there, and his day-to-day -day life is the same as every Lego person. Follow the instruction, build things the way they are meant to be built, and don't deviate from the instructions. The plot of the movie is that President Business wants to superglue all of the Legos in place so that they're always where they ought to be. President Business, though, has a big problem with the master builders. Those are the Lego people who don't follow the instructions but create new and interesting things. God could have made all of us like Lego people, fixed, following the instructions, and not deviating from any of the plans. But he didn't. He made us like master builders with the ability to choose what we do and what we make. This is part of how God created the world tov, or good, in the beginning. He looked at all of his creation, he said, it's very good, and then he placed humankind in the garden and said, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In this brief statement from God, we have choice, we have a boundary, and we have consequences or suffering. The man and woman are free to choose from 99.9% .9 of everything that's available to them, but they have a boundary. There's one tree that they can't eat from, and of course, they go and eat from that tree, as have all of us ever since. Humanity collectively, continually eats from that tree and turns away from God. And the consequences of that is the pain and suffering in the world. Now, you can't really link every time of suffering to a specific human decision. Like for Jennifer, there was no big decision there that really caused that. But humanity's collective decision since the beginning affects all of creation. Paul wrote to the Roman church, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. God's gift to us in our ability to choose, and it truly is a gift, also brings the suffering of the whole world. C.S. Lewis wrote, free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love 
or goodness or joy worth having. He goes on to say that a world of machines would hardly have been worth creating. I would say maybe a world of Legos would hardly have been worth creating. No offense if you have like a basement world that you've created with Legos or anything like that. Now, this doesn't mean that whatever has happened to you is your fault. I mean, it may be. Let's be honest. I have caused myself plenty of pain and suffering in my life. But when the suffering that you're experiencing is at the hands of somebody else, that's not your fault. And your disease or your illness isn't God punishing you because you're not good enough. We can't make those judgments. None of us can. But it is because of of humanity's freedom and ability to choose that there is so much hurt in the world. There's got to be some aspect where God actually allows it so that we aren't all just Legos. And ironically, Legos have caused a ton of pain and suffering in the world. You ever stepped on one of those things before? I've got a meme for you here. Rare image of a shark stepping on a Lego. (laughs) I don't know why that one makes me laugh so much. Okay, we could talk about the why of suffering till the cows come home, and we probably still would always have that question in our minds of why, even with the best answers that we could provide. Suffering is here, though, so what do we do with it? Or perhaps a better question is, what does God do with it? I think he redeems it. And I want to be clear here that because I think God redeems it and brings good things out of it doesn't mean that our suffering is good or that God has caused it. The Bible does talk about certain ways where God causes difficulties for a specific purpose, but we can't know all of the hows or whens or whys of that. And the Bible talks far more about the evil that's in the world that God has not caused. But this is how good God is. He can take all of that evil and make good things out of it. Again, this is fundamentally important to understand when talking about suffering. When we enter into the gospel story and we say, Jesus, all that I have in my life is yours, He takes the hardest things in our lives and he makes good things from them. We don't always see that. We don't always see the outcome of it. But I think it's always at play. I think God does this in several ways. He redeems it in several ways. I'm just going to ask right now for some feedback from you. How do you think God redeems our suffering in our lives? It gives depth depth to our spirit, absolutely. I heard someone say recently that their grandfather, who was a psychologist, was known to say, show me a a child who hasn't experienced suffering and I'll show you a shallow adult. It gives us depth to our spirits, yeah. Oh, it makes us desperate for him. It actually turns us toward God. We have a need for God in our suffering. Yeah, good. Hmm? 
Yeah, so that we can experience forgiveness as well. We can experience that grace of God, absolutely. And give us peace as well. Amen. You want to come up and finish preaching here? Or? Okay. Last one. Yeah, we need challenges because if it wasn't smooth sailing, we wouldn't learn anything. Yeah, it actually causes us growth. That's right. There are lots of different ways I think God redeems it. All those responses are really good. There are two that I'm going to focus on right now, and they were mentioned here this morning already. First, God uses suffering to draw our attention to him. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, we are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I met with someone in the church recently who was telling me a story of coming to faith and he had said that people had told him about Jesus, but I, you know, I guess he just wasn't really interested at that time. But when a hard situation entered his life, he began reading the Bible because he didn't know what else to do in that time. When life's pretty good, when we feel like we have it all together, when we're experiencing relative comfort, most people will not sense a need to turn to God. Sometimes we need something to jolt us awake to realize what, what life is really about. And that can relate to all of us, whether we're just coming to faith or throughout our journey of faith as well. Now, I've already quoted C.S. Lewis. Uh, that was from Mere Christianity, his book, Mere Christianity. But I'm going to quote him now from The Problem of Pain, which is my favorite Lewis book that's nonfiction. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When one of my kids gets hurt, they immediately come running to Steph or to me. Usually I tell them to suck it up and get over it. Sometimes I actually do. <laughs> Thankfully, God is a better father than I am. When suffering enters our lives, I hope that our first inst instinct is to turn immediately to God. And the Bible teaches us how to do this well, not by ignoring our pain, not by trying to accept it, not by making excuses for it, but by turning to God acknowledging our pain, and learning to trust him through it. This is what we call lament, turning to God and crying out to him as, we are, as a way of dealing with our grief in life. The Psalms give us example after example after example of this. It's like suffering is a universal human experience or something like that. There are more psalms of lament than any other form in the book of Psalms. More than a third of the book of Psalms is somebody crying out to God for help. 
What's interesting, though, is that almost every single psalm of lament also ends up expressing trust and confidence in God. That's what happens when we turn to God in our suffering. Those experiences over and over again increase our trust in him. Here's a brief example from Psalm 13. How long, Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt like God is hiding from you in your most difficult times? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my, triumph, will my enemy triumph over me? Have you ever felt like there's an enemy, like someone's working against you? Look on me and answer, Yahweh, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, your chesed. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing Yahweh's praise, for he has been good to me. Trust, rejoicing, goodness in the midst of suffering. God will use our suffering to get our attention and to build trust into us as we turn to him. When we experience suffering, turn to God, cry out to him, acknowledge your hurt, and let him build that trust into you. The second way that God redeems our suffering is that God uses suffering to make us like Jesus. Our passage today in 1 Peter compares our faith to gold that's being refined. It's being tested. James says something similar when he writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, this doesn't justify all of our suffering, but our pain and our suffering does change us. There's a maturing aspect to it that actually brings about growth or depth for us, as it was said. Your particular suffering isn't necessarily in order to bring about growth, but God will redeem it to that end. I asked a small group of people once what had caused the most growth for them in life. And around the room, every single person shared some story of difficulty or pain or challenge that caused more growth for them than any other circumstance. The same is probably true for most of us. So God uses, us, uses it to make us like Jesus, but we also have to be engaged in the process. 
Henry Cloud and John Townsend are both psychologists. They've written, they've written several books together. In their book, How People Grow, they say, suffering is the path Jesus modeled for us. And he modeled how to do it right. He went through it all without sin and, without obe- and with obedience. This is the difference between those who suffer to a good end and those who suffer to no good end at all. I don't know about you, but I don't want to suffer to no good end at all. I mean, sometimes in my most stubborn days, I prob- probably looks like I do, but generally, I don't. How did Jesus model suffering well? By trusting God, by being faithful and persevering to the end, and by submitting his desires to God's desires. That's the model that we have for us. To trust, be faithful, and to persevere, and to desire God's will. I want to share a video with you now uh, from somebody in our church, Dave, who's, um, this is part of his story that relates to this aspect of being made like Jesus. Well, I'm Dave Overby, and uh, I have been attending New Hope Community Church with my wife, Diane, since the early 2000s. We were looking for a a place that uh, we would not only feel comfortable about worship, but where we could add service to it. Uh, I was very involved in prison ministry at that time. That's what they had here at uh, New Hope. Uh, Check the box if you're interested in that kind of ministry. That really intrigued me. And pretty soon I found that I was in charge of prison ministry at New Hope Community Church. Diane was uh, diagnosed in the middle of the 1980s and diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and uh, it was a real shock to her and to us and uh, that was the beginning of a number of years of just adjusting to a different uh, lifestyle and different expectations. Flash forward to where we are now, it was about 2017 that uh, Diane had an exacerbation that uh, literally put her in the hospital of, on life support uh, for eight days and, uh, and then after the life support uh, in, into the rehab for another 20 to 30 days. And um, it really changed things. Um, so life for me with Diane today is one of being a caregiver. As of recent, uh, Diane was placed into hospice home care. And it's been a, just a blessing as far as the, the team from uh, the hospital that comes and, and helps with us. But it's more intense, and yet uh, it's very helpful. And then we've got several from New Hope Community Church that have volunteered to come and give me some respite for three hours a week. And it's really been special taking care of Diane. What came to mind immediately is who am I to even be considered as one that was suffering when I think of my Savior, my Lord. You know, him hanging on a cross, spikes in his hands and in his feet, and barely able to breathe, barely able to 
to, to survive, and that was suffering. And then I also thought about the many people within our church. I mean, there are many people that are suffering, and who am I to be picked out to talk about suffering? But the one thing I've learned is that I can rejoice in my suffering, as Paul said, and that, that uh, leads to perseverance. And I think perseverance is just a, an amazing concept that you keep moving, you keep going, uh, and with God's strength, you persevere. And what's interesting, Paul says, you know, that, that develops character. And character, I think of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, patience, long-suffering, and, and he builds that within us while we're persevering. And the good thing about that is that develops hope. My life verse is Psalm 73, 23 through 26. He continues to hold me by his right hand, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom in heaven have I but you? On earth I desire you more than anything. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, yet you remain the strength of my heart. You're mine forever. And uh, God has sustained. He's given me the promises that just keep coming and coming and coming. And I'm so thankful uh, that I have that confidence in that promise and the promises that he gives me. Dave and Diane are actually sitting in the back of the room today. They don't often get to make it into church just because of their circumstances. So if you're watching online, you've probably seen Dave in the chat. He's always making comments there uh, as they watch um, from home. There's so much more to Dave and Diane's story. There's so much more that Dave wanted to share. And one of the things that he wanted to highlight is that, when he, uh, that he finds encouragement when he needs it most through prayer and scripture. Dave is someone who I think is an example for us of how to walk through suffering while trusting in the goodness of God. And honestly, I think this is one of our best evidences of Jesus in our lives, how we respond to suffering. Peter writes in the context of suffering, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. People will see our hope in the midst of suffering and they'll ask, why? Why are you so hopeful? Dave's story and Diane's story isn't that God took away their suffering, but that they're learning to have hope and joy in the midst of suffering. Because God so often does not take away our pain. But this is where the gospel really connects to suffering. This is where our hope really is. God doesn't take our suffering away. He enters into it. The book of Isaiah describes a suffering servant that is to come. It's a description of Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it says, 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We can ask the question of why and try to answer it. And we could even recognize that God brings good things out of our hardest circumstances in some way. He redeems it. But none of that changes the fact that suffering and pain and disappointment are there in our lives. The real beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't just make it go away, but he experiences it with us. Have you ever felt rejected and alone? So has Jesus. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? So has Jesus. Are you lacking your basic needs? So was Jesus. Are you experiencing hard physical pain? So did Jesus. Have you ever wept because someone you loved passed away? So has Jesus. Have you ever cried out to God because you don't feel like you can actually make it through what you're going through? So has Jesus. He enters into our suffering. And he's conquered evil and he promises that there are better things to come, but here and now he offers his presence and his care. He offers us his empathy. He's right there in the experience, in our pain. He has walked it and he is walking it with us. This is the gospel in the midst of suffering that you are not alone, and that God actually understands. He didn't need to do that. Remember, this is the God from Job who has all wisdom and runs everything in the universe, and he takes on your weakness, and he takes on your pain, your physical and your emotional pain, and he experiences your suffering with you. That is love incarnate, and it's good news. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the incredible love that you have for us that we can't even begin to understand. But God, when we need it the most, when we're crying out like the psalmists cry out, would you reveal your love more to us Would you help to build that trust in us that we would continually turn to you in your goodness to know that you are good even in our worst circumstances. 
I pray for everyone who's in this room right now, everyone who's watching online, all the different stories that are represented, all the different experiences of pain, loss, grief, suffering. Father, would you through your spirit meet them in those places? God, bring them healing. I pray, Father, that you would comfort them I pray, Father, that you would teach us to trust you, to know how much you love us. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're in need of prayer, know that we want to come alongside you and pray with you for whatever circumstance you might be going through. Visit newhopepdx.org forward slash prayer to request prayer.